Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal, who, alas, was not named the biggest liar of the year, Bill. I thought for sure you were in the running for that. Hey, well, thanks, Michael. I like that, <laughs> that, that great uh, expression of confidence. Exactly. I'm a supporter. High standards we keep here at the Weekly Standard. No, no. I, we were, don't you think, though, I do think, actually, on this podcast, even before we wrote stuff about it at the Standard, I think we, uh, I don't know, we were one of the first to call attention to the um, the individual insurance yes. market and the fact that people were losing their plans and their doctors mm-hmm. and that the president had promised otherwise. I think that was I think we were pretty early on that on that story. Well, they've overcome their prejudice against Democrats. They finally you know, set their partisanship aside and awarded the award yeah. to a Democrat. That, I think it it's is, good to see them reach. It is it, telling, I don't that, you think, of I, the mainstream media to do that. I, I think it really is a mark of the difficulty <laughs> the Obama presidency is in when, when you get, you know, uh, those people are, were not, they're not happy about having to make President Obama their liar of the year, and uh, doing it just showed how overwhelming the case was, I suppose. Absolutely, uh, and the problems with Obamacare and the president's uh, hopes for it continue. Suddenly now, if I understand it correctly, for your insurance to start January 1, 2014, you can actually pay in December of 2017. Do I have that right? I think that's right. I'm not sure. You know, this thing that happened, I guess it was yesterday, um, is pretty, it's a big deal. I mean, it's so confusing and complicated that it's hard to even uh, quite understand. But it is an amazing concession by the Obama administration, by HHS, that things are not fixed. Now, they, don't, they aren't ordering the insurance companies to do this uh, because that would raise, I think, legal and constitutional issues. But they're urging, suggesting the insurance companies let people enroll later than the deadlines that have been out there for months and then sort of retroactively almost enroll and retroactively uh, pay their premium and et cetera. And doctors shouldn't, you know, look too closely at whether people really are enrolled. I mean, it's an amazing uh, collapse of the system almost as it begins, an amazing cavalierness about the rule of law and about all these regulations and rules that have been out there. Of course, that's been their pattern. But I think the degree to which it's sort of, we have a good piece in the Weekly Standard, the cover story this week by Krista Muth, on sort of this aspect of Obamacare, these incredible, the, the arbitrary, capricious sort of administrative state just making decisions about this extremely comp- complex area of law and society, which is governed by actually complex laws, which in the past right. people have thought you sort of have to follow them, you know. And I think this really is a further step in that direction. Um, and but, it, but the reason they're making this step, uh, the fact that they have to make this step is very telling, I think. It really shows that they are in bad shape. So I'm going to show up at my doctor having not paid for my insurance with my insurance company somehow either assuring me or me believing because I saw it on TV that I have coverage or that the doctor has to take it. And the doctor is going to say, well, I'm not even in the network of the insurance that you haven't paid for. So I should treat you (laughs) out of the network for insurance you don't have. And somehow they're going to, as the insurance people put it, true up this all somewhere down the line. Well, they're going to do, and they're going, and what I think the government's counting on, honestly, is that the fear of HHS coming down right. on you will make doctors and insurance companies kind of, uh, you know, bend to say at least their usual rules and practices, and say, yeah, we'll work it out later. I mean, that's really the spirit of it. We'll work it out later, <laughs> and that is, you know, that's in private life. That's how we do a lot of things, and sure. that's why private life, civic life, family life is not rule bound. Is not uh, shouldn't be. 
um, you know, uh, governed by laws in many cases. It's governed by customs and by informal agreements. But right. we'll figure it out later is not the way the government is supposed to run these programs. And that is what the rule of law is all about. You know, Hayek wrote whole books about this. The point of the rule of law is that you don't, you're not subject to the whim of some bureaucrat somewhere or some private negotiation between an insurance company and a bureaucrat about what they'll cover and what they won't cover in this ambiguous case. And uh, where you, you tried maybe to sign up and then you didn't, but then you didn't go back to the website and you forgot about it and then suddenly you get sick. And I mean, that is, it's really, it's so bad for the country. I mean, leaving aside the effect on actual patients and doctors, it's so bad to sort of have this, uh, well, I just, look, there are always these exceptions where you do sometimes do this in programs, right? Emergencies, right. And, you know, wars start, and you sort of, let's, you know, we've got to get this stuff mobilized. We'll figure out exactly how we take care of it later. But to have this huge program that was passed three and a half years ago now going to effect with this, we'll figure it out later uh, mentality and, and procedure is really a corruption of the rule of law. I really think Republicans and conservatives need to make more of a point of that, too, that it's not just bad for our health care and bad for the economy and, and unjust and an abrogation of liberty. It really shows how corrupting it is to the rule of law. Uh, Thirty members of the House of Representatives have uh, said they want to uh, challenge the president to sue him based on exactly that premise, that he's acting outside the law. But I, I, in my opinion, Bill, uh, casual Political observers hear things like that and they react negatively. They, that seems, you know, strange, odd. Are we at the point where, where the uh, the behavior of the president is so extreme, where these, this, I mean, this story we're talking about right now is so ridiculous on its face that normal people go, "Gee, maybe it is time to take this guy to court. Maybe it is time to actually talk about that thing we talked about in civics class in the seventh grade." Well, no, I'd say more. It's just time to really go take another shot at passing a law to delay. Obamacare or to allow pre-Obamacare type plans to continue mm -hmm. to exist or allow insurers to offer such plans. And that's the key, in my point of view. What the House of Republicans did in November was the right thing to do. The Senate talked about it, you remember, and then Obama did that kind of administrative action, and the Senate never did anything. Now, there are Democratic senators still saying we want to uh, kind of make sure people can keep their old insurance. And uh, now that that's been uh, blessed as the lie of the year by, by PolitiFact, I think keeping the pressure up on that is key. One reason I supported this budget deal that passed the House yesterday, as you know, is I thought, let's get back to the Obamacare discussion. Let's not have an endless squabble among Republicans about 0.2% of domestic discretionary spending um, and whether it's really plus 0.01%, you know, or minus 0.01% after this deal goes through. Uh, let's, and so I, I hope it goes through the Senate next week, but I really hope the Republicans come back, and I'm going to push this pretty hard, and we'll, and we'll push it in the magazine, and, and you'll push it, I'm sure, on the, on the radio, and we'll all hopefully have some success. They've got to get back on, on Obamacare and addressing and really looking at serious legislative solutions, delaying the whole thing for a year, whatever it is that allows, um, that gets people off this terrible situation where now they're dependent on the whims of either people at insurance companies or people at insurance companies who are being bludgeoned by people at HHS. It's really a terrible situation. Uh, speaking of that budget deal, uh, Senator Mark Rubio has said today he can't possibly support it because it weakens the ability to stop more spending and because uh, it you know, increases spending, it has fees. That kind of stuff you would say if you were planning on running in a Republican primary in South Carolina in 2016. Is What's going to happen in the Senate? Are we going to see something similar to the House where the Democrats are on board and some of the Republicans are on board? I mean, I'm a little struck by how many Senate Republican senators are turning against it. I, I think that's mostly for 
they're in the minority. They don't have to pass it. They assume the Senate Democrats will be almost all there, and they just need to provide a few votes. I, I think it's unfortunate. I mean, look, if people have honest disagreements with it, fine. They're entitled to have that. But a lot of the Senate Republican leadership and some of these people, I can't believe they really think it's a bad deal. They're, they've accepted worse deals in the past when faced with the possibility of government shutdowns and debt ceiling problems. Uh, this is a pretty, you know, minor league deal and does actually help defense, which is important. And suddenly they're all getting, you know, very persnickety about what they can and can't accept. I do not believe this will be an issue two years from now. I don't think it will be an issue three months from now, honestly. And uh, they're much bigger uh, fish to fry. And I think I like Marco Rubio, but I think on this, he voted against the sequester, if I'm not mistaken, in 2011, right? He, he, so why is he suddenly such a huge fan of it? I mean, he voted against the original Budget Control Act that has the sequester in it. So um, I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of uh, um, just kind of pandering to some outside groups and being sounding like you're tough on spending. But at the end of the day, um, I, I don't think I think it'll pass the Senate next week. I don't think it's a vote that people will remember much two or three months from now. Well, I like seeing Republican leadership acting less dumb. It is a little annoying when they go out of their way to smack the Tea Party and the other groups yeah. that are organized. There's no reason for that. Really we all got to play yeah. together. But I, just, I have to tell you, Bill, I, I apologize. I've been more distracted during our podcast day because we hired an interpreter from South Africa <laughs> to interpret the podcast over the you know t- phone and radio and web, and he keeps hitting me in the head. He's doing the Pete Townsend windmill move. I don't, I don't know. I didn't realize you use the word windmill so often in this conversation. I, I like that guy. I think he, you know, the truth is, if I can say, my impression is, if people are, you know, deaf, obviously, or hard of hearing, I think that's why they have closed captions, which you now do have most of the time. I think on on television, and that's that's great. Uh, I guess the, the deaf interpreters are useful for some people, but. Um, I, I do think it's kind of funny that no one seems to have noticed that this guy was exactly. a total, uh, fraud until, you know, a day later. It's not like they, they get my there were a huge number of people depending, depending on him. So I'm sort of sympathetic to him. You know, he's got some mental problems, unfortunately. But uh, he was out there, you know, he was doing his best in the rain, you know, waving <laughs> his arms around. I, he's not the, um, you know, at least he has an excuse for the kind of fantasy world he's living in, he has a medical condition. What about all those world leaders who are there, including as, our president, I might say? As I said on Twitter, up on that stage is a guy who has no idea what the hell he's doing and a fake interpreter. And it was a <laughs> yeah, that's frightening... That's a very good line. My, it's funny, because great minds work alike. I made that comment to someone, this, a similar comment to someone this morning, and I hadn't even <laughs> seen your tweet about that. So I, My tip was when he started doing the uh, here is the church and here is the steeple, open the doors and see all the people move. I said, I'm not sure that that is standardized, uh, but uh, we'll take it however we can get. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.